This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. Who knows? We may be ridiculed and mocked and even eradicated. Don't be surprised. As we stand on the word of God, culture and society will hate us. Why? Because we stand in the way of progress in their eyes. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. My name's Aaron, and you're listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Pastor Jeff loves to take a fresh look at Bible passages that pump him up and is keen for them to have great impact in our lives. So far in this new Pump series, we've reviewed Matthew chapter 15 and the faith of the Canaanite woman. In today's passage, Pastor Jeff is looking at Revelation chapter 20. He admits it's a difficult book to understand, but he's helping us decode this section so we can find its meaning for today's culture. Let's begin today's message as we're starting by looking at Revelation chapter 20. Yep, Revelation 20, you heard right. We're in a series called Pumped. And the reason we do this every year is because there are passages of Scripture and they have a great impact on our lives for a long period of time. And so because of that, we like to have at least one series a year where we get to describe or illustrate one of those passages that, are, that we find to be life transformational. So now we're in Revelation 20. Of course, this is one of my favorite passages. This is a passage that pumps me up. And to get you started, it's a short chapter. I think it's the shortest chapter in the book of Revelation, but it's packed, it packs a powerful punch, and we'll go through those verses. But to get you started thinking in the right direction, uh, the PGA uh, Golf Championship was last weekend. Now, if you're not a golfer, I know most of you don't care about this. The guy who won it is a guy by the name of Brooks Kepka, who personally I've never really liked that much, not as a person, but just as a golfer, okay? I don't know him, so I don't want to judge him here. But I think the reason I don't like him is I'm jealous, this guy has ice in his veins. He's playing. When you watch this guy play, nothing bothers him. Nothing rattles him. It's almost like as he plays the tournament, and he loves the big stage. He loves to get the attention. But it's almost like the bigger the tournament, the more important the tournament, the bigger the money, the calmer he is. And he has this look on his face as if to say, I know I'm going to win. That's hard to do in golf. And I think it's something like, man... How can you be so sure? But he seems to be so sure. It's almost like if he really wants to win, he will. And I started thinking about that because that is the attitude Christ followers are supposed to have. Did you know that? We're supposed to know that no matter what happens, we're going to win. We're the winners in the end. In fact, there are two primary teachings that weave its way through the words of Jesus. One is this. Jesus told us time and again that God is incredibly patient. He's long-suffering, but one day judgment's going to come. His grace and mercies are new every day. When we wake up, that's cool. But one day, time is going to end as we know it, and judgment is going to come, and his kingdom is going to prevail. He says it again and again and again. Take heart. In this world, you'll have trouble, but I've overcome the world. The second primary teaching is that he went to great lengths, and I think we mouthed it, but we don't really believe it, that there are two kingdoms in operation. You can't see either one of them. They are diametrically opposed to each other. There's Jesus and his kingdom, 
And God and his ministering servants called angels that are real. And there's the demonic world. There's Satan's kingdom. He's the prince of the power of the air. But his ministering servants are real as well. And these two kingdoms are going to be in conflict. The apostle Paul said, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Let me give you a heads up. What you're seeing in culture today is a result of this battle. And we're about to go into it. So tell your friends. You want to understand how, how or what's going on in the world right now? You look out and you say, man, the world has gone crazy. Well, of course it has. Now, how does this pump me up? Well, Revelation 20 reminds me of something. So I got to take you through something. I got to do it quickly. For those of you who love the book of Revelation and you hold a particular view on Revelation, okay, you've heard me talk about Revelation before. We did 16 weeks on it a few years ago. And I told you, there's no way anybody has it all right. I could be wrong. I mean, it's just a hard book. But I want to show you something in order to help you understand what's going on, what I believe is going on in Revelation 20, okay? And here's, here it is in simplicity. It's a jet tour. Revelation is difficult to understand, but you can understand it, at least major parts of it, when you begin to know there's a code. And the code is numerical. So it seems like the writer of the book of Revelation sees all of world history in seven years. So if you look at all of history from creation to the crucifixion, that's three and a half years, and from crucifixion to this end of time, consummation is three and a half years. That's seven years of world history. So when you see these numbers in the book of Revelation, 1260 days, which incidentally is three and a half years, 42 months, which is three and a half years, time, times and a half a time, one year, two years, half a time, three and a half years. So the writer keeps using the same numbers to express the events that are going to happen in our world from the time Jesus was crucified and established his kingdom until the time he returns. Now, the debate surrounds the last part of the second half of the three and a half years. Some people think there's going to be a rapture and then the evil comes. Other people think the church is going to be in the evil and then the rapture comes. Those are topics for discussion. And I don't think you got great wise scholars on both sides. And that's why I listen to them all and then make up your mind. But for our purposes right now, I want to suggest to you that when you come to Revelation 20, in my humble opinion, if you disagree, I'm okay with that. This is not a test of faith. So when you come to Revelation 20, I believe that it's another vision in the seven visions of the book of Revelation that tell you what to expect during this second phase of world history. Now, for some of you, that's going to be what? Revelation 20? Let me read it to you. Here's what the writer says. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon. Now, we know who the dragon is. That serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be re released for a little while or a short time. Now, from the get-go, if it's true that I'm suggesting Revelation 20 describes these events, then the next thing you would have to say, wait a minute, are you telling me that Satan is bound right now? Now, the answer to that question in the mind of Jesus is yes, because in Matthew chapter 12, here's what Jesus said. 
But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? The point is the word bind does does not mean completely incapacitated. It means that he's restricted to some degree. He does not have free reign. The work of Jesus on the cross did something to Satan. We know by Revelation 12 and 13 that it cast him out of heaven, that he no longer could accuse the men and women of God in heaven because they're saved by grace through faith. So in some way, he's bound. He's like a mafia that's in prison, so he's restricted, but he still does a lot of damage on the outside. But that, what that says to you and me is that Satan has already been defeated in one sense. He has not given complete freedom. He has been bound this far, God says, and no further. Now, just quickly, one of the questions I get asked by university students is, Pastor Jeff, I don't understand why God just doesn't kill the devil. Just kill the devil, and all this is over. And the only answer I can give you, and this would be an entire sermon, is that somehow, in a way you and I don't understand, the devil's existence glorifies God and compels people into relationship with God more than his non-existence. The devil's existence glorifies God and compels people into relationship with God, which is his primary point of creation, more than the devil's non-existence. So the question then is, what does the binding accomplish? So God doesn't give him free reign. How is he bound? We're told in verse three, the second part of it, so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. So in my particular view, during the time that Satan is bound, he cannot deceive people to the point of unbelief. He cannot stop the work of God. He has power, but he cannot stop the work of God because the power of the Holy Spirit is more powerful. He is who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. He cannot prevent the gospel from going out in conquest. The gates of Hades will never prevail against the church. Prayer will work. James 5, 16, the effective prayer of a righteous man or woman releases the divine energy of God. The word does not return void. Strongholds can and will be defeated, right? So you're going to have death, you're going to have devastation, you're going to have war, you're going to have persecution, you're going to have economic hardship, all of these things. Evil may be present, evil of every kind, but Satan's hands, to a degree, are tied. Jesus himself, when the disciples came back and they had done all of this great ministry, when he had sent them out in Luke chapter 10, notice the words of Jesus. He says, Then the 70 returned, this is Luke's account of what happened. Then the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now, what does that tell you? Christ's power is more powerful than demonic power. And he said to them, that is Jesus, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And we just read in Revelation 20, down in the abyss, down in the pit, and his hands are tied. He's bound. I love the story of Elisha and his servant. When the servants of the man of God, 2 Kings chapter 6, 15 through 17, got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what should we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Most of you know this. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Do you know that greater in number are those who are with you than those who are against you? But there are those who are against you. There are demonic forces all around you. And this is what this series is going to talk about as we head into the month of June. However, if you are neutral in this battle, the Bible tells you if you speak the word of God, heaven breaks loose. Did you know that? 
When you pray, the forces of heaven are deployed. You may not feel like they are, but the objective truth is they are. And Jesus constantly tries to open the disciples' eyes to this. But if you are neutral in the battle, if you consider yourself unaffiliated, religious-wise, well, I'm not a Christian, but neither am I heathen. Yeah, you are. You're either a Christian or you're a heathen. We're all heathens, but some of us are saved, right? But you're not protected. If you are a Christian atheist, that is that you're a Christian in name only, but the way you live your life is atheistic. You are not then protected and are in fact influenced and used by the enemy. That's what Jesus taught. There's no neutrality. You are sucked into the vortex of the world, which is why you see a lot of your Christian friends believing things and going the way of the world. And you're saying, I can't believe this. Well, believe it. It's the time when the wheat and the tares are separated. Jesus said himself in Matthew 12, 30, you're either for me or you're against me. There's no neutrality. You either think about and do the things of heaven or you think about and do the things of hell. That's what happens in the next verse, verse four. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Now, who are the them? Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived, that is, came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now, just quickly, if my particular view of Revelation is correct, that we're talking about all of this happening during the age of the church until Christ returns with something very special happening in this final period, then that would mean, first of all, who's come to life and who is reigning now? Well, the first thing is in Revelation, apocalyptic literature, communicating truth through signs and symbols, when he talks about receiving the mark on the head and on the hands, it's a direct reference to the Old Testament phylacteries. You wore boxes on your wrist, tied to your wrist, and boxes tied to your head that people in Israel still do today. And those boxes are called phylacteries, and there are verses of Scripture tied into those boxes, and those Scriptures represent what you think and what you do. So the writer simply telling you that as you live out your life during our time, you're either going to think and do the work of God or think and do the work of Satan. The people who think and do the work of God are said or explained to have come to life. What is that? We've been born again. The Bible tells us that we have come to life and that we are reigning right now. Did you know that? Romans 6, 4, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in a new way of life. Colossians 2.13. And you being dead in your transgressions and, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. So remember, there are two resurrections, right? For those who are born again, you rise from the dead. You're spiritually woke. Your eyes can see the way things really are. You should be dancing just because of that. And then when you die, it's the second resurrection. And on that resurrection, you do what? You are raised to the ultimate life in heaven with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit for eternity. However, there's a whole other group of people that do not come alive during these days. Which means everyone who's not born again is a dead or 
(laughs) is a dead man or woman walking. They can't see. They don't see what you see. They don't feel what you feel. And why you expect them to believe what you believe is beyond me. They are spiritually blind. Okay, Jeff, if that's true, though, how do we reign? Are we reigning? I don't feel like I'm reigning. Well, according to Jesus, you are. Ephesians chapter 2, through the words of the apostle Paul, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly realm now. Now, how? Matthew chapter 16, and I tell you the truth, you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, what's he saying? What does that mean? That's a powerful passage. Upon what rock? Peter had just confessed at Caesarea Philippi, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. That's who you are. Jesus said, on that rock, I'm going to build my church. On that foundation... And he says, whatever you bind will be bound, whatever you loose will be loose. What's he saying? Do you know the church sits in judgment of the world right now? Say, so wait a minute, we're not supposed to judge. Now hold on, not the way you're defining judgment. You've heard me say in the past that it is our job to present the world with the judgment that's already been determined by God. When we do that, I'm not judging you. If I go to you and say, dude, you're sleeping with your girlfriend, you're not married. I'm not judging you. I'm telling you the judgment that's already been determined by God. Dude, you're cheating on your wife. That's adultery. I'm not judging you. I'm simply presenting you with the judgment that's already been determined by God. In that way, the church of Jesus Christ on this planet is supposed to live such lives of distinction that we sit in the higher places. In a way, we are the judges of the earth in so far as we follow the word of God. We are alive. We woke up. We swam upstream. We live against the grain. Something got a hold of us. And then in Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. There are those who will condemn the church, right? They will condemn Christ followers. This is the generation. It's the here and now. Here we are. Pastors like me told you it was coming. It's going to come full on now. Don't be surprised. Don't be shaken, though. Your kingdom will last forever. Don't panic. Keep loving people. Keep doing what Christ has called you to do, but don't be shocked. The IRS and the FBI may be weaponized against Christ followers. Who knows? We may be ridiculed and mocked and even eradicated. Don't be surprised. As we stand on the word of God, culture and society will hate us. Why? because we stand in the way of progress in their eyes. We need to eradicate the Christians because they have this archaic view of marriages between a man and a woman. Got to eradicate those Christ followers. Man, it just popped in my mind. I I remember I had the opportunity, this has been many, many years ago, to sit in a meeting with a lot of politicians And it was up in San Francisco, and the speaker was talking about the comparison between the Christians and the Jews. And I think I quoted this before. He said, the Christians will be the Jews of the 21st century. And he went on to explain how one of the reasons Hitler wanted to eradicate the Jews because the Jews stood for morality, and he wanted to kill morality that would free him to do whatever he wanted to do. That's where the Christians are today. 
If we can eradicate the Christ followers, we don't have this voice of conscience all over. We can raise our kids the way we want. We can do what we want without these pesky voices over here talking about righteousness. If you can destroy the family, you can destroy culture. If you can destroy culture, you destroy lives. And Jesus himself said in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Look again at verse four. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. I don't have time to go into who the beast is and the identity. It's simply to say this, that there is the expectation that there will be many martyrs there are people today dying for Christ, right? Maybe not here yet, but all over the world, in places like India, in places like South Sudan. The persecuted church is indeed persecuted, and there are hundreds, if not thousands, of deaths of people who claim Christ. We will be attacked in Jesus' name. Did you read the story last week? There's a young man from Canada who was arrested for simply handing out Bibles. Did you see that story? He just handed out Bibles. Wasn't shouting, wasn't picketing, wasn't yelling any obscenities, just handing out Bibles. He's the one that got arrested. Because those who stand on the word of God, the word of God that brings life, who contradict culture will be persecuted. Because culture's going in the way of the beast. It's going in the way of the one who's the prince of the power of the air. Of course it is. And those of us who stand up, as the church stands up, it stands for what is right, of course it's going to be attacked. And there'll be Times in human history, well, people will try to eradicate the church. Now, notice what happens here. It says, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So you and I have been raised a new life. We've had the first resurrection waiting on the second one. But everyone else is dead. They don't come to life until the end of time. But when they come to life, they're raised, but they're raised to death. Judgment, the great white throne. But that should tell you I find it ironic that the, the operative term today is woke, when in reality, we are spiritually, totally spiritually blind. We are asleep probably more than any generation before us in the modern world. And the Bible says that the first resurrection is our new life in Christ, that you and I can see things. Look, don't be, don't be so enamored and don't be disappointed when you hear things, see things, and you think, man, how can you think like that? Well, of course you think like that, because you haven't been resurrected. You're still dead. You're dead man, dead woman walking. In John, Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but he has crossed over from death to life. You've already crossed over. You're living. Ephesians 2, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We are alive, and we are ruling. I'm telling you, we are alive, although I worry about some of you. We are alive. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. Hold on tight. Does this passage pump you up, Jeff? You bet your life it does. Let me tell you why, quickly. Revelation 20 reminds me that one day justice is gonna roll like a river. 
One day the trumpet's gonna blow and all these authorities and all these governments who blasphemed the throne of God and the people of God will be judged. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.